Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, here at Celebration Church in lovely Wisconsin, the exact center of nothing. <laughs> but we like it here. It's our home. We are getting into the word tonight. We're going to be in 1 Timothy. Pray with me and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. Lord, we pray as we open your word that you would feed us from your word. Let your spirit breathe life uh, into us. We know that your word does not go back void, but always accomplishes what you intend for it to accomplish. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. We are in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Paul now is writing from his place in Rome. He's under arrest, and uh, we believe soon to be killed. He actually starts talking about it when he writes the second letter to Timothy. And uh, so he's writing to them. These are his pastoral letters. He wrote one to Timothy, two to Timothy, and then one to Titus. So we're in the fourth chapter, starting in at chapter four, verse one. He said, the spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, when he says the Spirit clearly says, what would happen is they would get together and they would pray and worship God and then the Holy Spirit would come in their midst and people would begin to prophesy and speak about uh, things that mattered to the kingdom of God. And apparently it was very common when they would get together that the Holy Spirit would keep warning about a time when people would start to abandon the faith. Not exactly good news, <laughs> but as a warning, you know, don't be part of those guys Will abide in faith, they'll follow deceiving spirits. He later talks about people who have itchy ears. They just want to hear what people, they want to listen to people who say the things they want to hear, those kinds of things. Um, and uh, things taught by demons. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as a, with a hot iron. We talked about that last week a little bit. And then here's some examples of the kind of weird things that they would teach. It says they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from eating certain foods. Uh, I'm sure there were other examples. I wish he would have given us more, quite frankly. He often talks about uh, the strange doctrines that will start popping up and uh, not always real. Obviously, I think it was very obvious to them at the time, not real obvious to us. But uh, So anyway, for whatever reason, some of these weirdos would teach that you, you shouldn't marry. Um, there were, uh, I was talking last week about this revival that happened in the 1800s, early, mid-1800s, massive revival through the country called the Second Great Awakening, something they don't teach in schools <laughs> because it's Christian. But it was a massive revival that shook the very foundations of the nation. People everywhere were converting to Christianity and people would pray every day for an hour at uh, you know, local churches and uh, in uh, what do you call it? fire stations and schoolhouses. And of course, people with their separation of church and state today would have had a fit back then. But anyway, that's what they did. And people would pray everywhere. They get together every day and pray for an hour. And just an incredible, the stories from that period of time of people converting and coming to Christ is really rather dramatic. But there was, as it grew, there were all kinds of weird groups that popped up. And there were those who did, in fact, uh, forbid marriage. Now, I don't know how you can read the Bible warning you to stay away from people who forbid marriage and then get out there and forbid marriage. And nobody gets it. <laughs> hello. <laughs> it's like, hello, right there. And then they did it. Uh, and, uh, of course, these groups tended to not last very long. Uh, the longest one I talked about last week uh, there was like, I saw a documentary on it a few years ago, and there were like three of them left, you know, because nobody, procreation is really old people. Uh, a couple of them had gotten into it later, obviously not from the mid-1800s, but later, and that group kept falling, and they'd have some converts come in, and then, and now there's nothing to them. Um, I think the whole thing with marrying and abstaining from certain foods, I mean, again, I don't know what the, what the point of it all is, uh, just to put people under lots of guilt trips. They made people feel guilty all the time just about anything sexual at all. The problem wasn't marriage. It was a problem that you had sex in marriage, what they thought was highly inappropriate. <laughs> but they're dumb as bricks. I don't know what the heck they're thinking. Uh, there was, and I <laughs> talked to you about where uh, 
graham crackers. <laughs> and of course, anybody Google that later? <laughs> you know, graham crackers were created by this Reverend Graham, and it was to try to keep people from feeling sexual and to keep men from masturbating. That's what graham crackers were created for. Nobody looked that up. You actually didn't believe what I said. I could have lied the whole time <laughs> and giggled for the next three years. <laughs> no, it actually, yes. Nobody, serious, nobody. Oh, you did, okay. So I was right, right? That's exactly right. That's where it comes from. And the same with cornflakes. And uh, in Graham's particular little religious group, uh, of course, anything sexual was very, very bad. And then they would encourage couples not to have sex more than once a month. One can only imagine the tension in these homes. <laughs> and uh, they're just crazy, just crazy. People come up with all kinds of stupid things and call it godly. And Paul would always say, stay away from a bunch of wackos. The problem is, what defines a wacko? <laughs> like I said, I wish you would have given us more details. But clearly, this falls in the wacko category. I do enjoy graham crackers, however. <laughs> My guess is it's not the original formula because they're pretty sweet now. They put sugar in everything, right? But take all the sugar out of a graham cracker. You can imagine how lousy that thing would taste. Like chewing on cardboard. It was awful. And the same with cornflakes, which they also put sugar in now, but back in the day. Very bland. It was food that made you lose control of your senses, which is absurd. They would tell people to abstain from certain foods. It doesn't say what particular ones. We do not know that every so often... Uh, people get caught up. It's been a while. that We haven't seen this in Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity for a while. When I was growing up, it would seem like every so many years there would be a whole bunch of people who would get all crazy about Judaism and following the law and, and all the foods that you shouldn't, shouldn't eat according to the Old Testament. We haven't seen it in a while, which just means it's got to be around the corner <laughs> because if there's, it just repeats over and over again. As soon as I'm standing here, soon you'll hear about some wackadoodles who'll go around telling you what you should and shouldn't eat because that's what the Bible says. Of course, they're not pointing out that it's the Old Testament law that we're not supposed to listen to and the fact that as Christians, now we can eat anything. Not that we should <laughs> for health reasons, but apparently we can. <clears throat> Cheeseburgers every day is probably not a good plan for you. Um, so he said, they tell us not to eat certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Everybody say Thanksgiving. All right, we're supposed to thank God for our food by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Everyone say thanksgiving. And then he says, because it is concentrated, consecrated by the word of God and prayer. This is where you get the concept of blessing the food. Most references towards receiving food is actually about thanking God for the food. Uh, we get into the thing now, someone bless the food as if, the food is unclean in the first place or something. I don't quite, quite get it. But they could use this verse as to uh, why they bless the food. Because um, it says it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know how it's consecrated by the word of God. I can see by prayer. Are you supposed to quote scriptures over your cheeseburger? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it's fine. You can bless the food. I have no problem with it. But generally speaking, most of the time, and certainly what the Lord Jesus did is whenever he ate, he would give thanks. Thank you, God, for what we're about to receive. And then bless it, I guess, if you want. I don't know, whatever. Um, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Again, give us some examples. But he doesn't. So I don't know. Clearly, he's impugning old wives here. <laughs> I don't know why he says that, but he does. Ladies talking. La, 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 la. Basically, don't, don't, don't get caught up in stuff that's, the way I would say it is, stuff that's beyond the Bible is probably to be approached with great care, okay? Don't become part of the beyond the Bible club, is what I call it. Stuff that the Bible doesn't talk about, but then they talk about it very intensely. Well, is that in the Bible? No, but blah, blah, blah. well, that's, then I just, I quit listening. Ah, you know. Stay away from myths, old wives' tales, but we do love the old wives, praise the Lord. Rather, train yourself to be 
godly. Pastor, how do I get to be godly? On purpose. Everybody say on purpose. Intentionally. It doesn't just happen because you spend time around me or sleep on your Bible or sprinkle yourself with holy dust or whatever you think goes on. You do, you train to be godly, which means you discipline yourself and you discipline yourself with Christian disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and uh, church attendance. And so that's why you're here. God bless you for all being here. So you guys are training. Most of the congregation is home doing nothing right now because they're not training. And then these are the people who are going to have big problems later and they don't know why. Pastor, why does my life stink? Because you never go to church. You never pray, you know, except for thank you for this cheeseburger. That's their prayer. Uh, you know, they don't read the Bible and they got all kinds of reasons why they don't read the Bible. Uh, that's hard to understand. Really, have you read it? No. Then how you know it's hard to understand? <laughs> you know, people, anyway. But you got to do it. You got to train yourself. Godly training. He goes on to say, because physical training is of some value. All you runners and weightlifters and all that. Physical training is of some value, the Bible says. But godliness has value for all things. So if you take the time to train physically, you certainly should take the time to do spiritual training and disciplines. Uh, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, which is encouraging. Christianity is not just about pie in the sky after you die. Your life will be better dramatically right here, right now, if you will do the right things and follow after God and do godly things. Your health will be better. Uh, And studies show this out. People who attend church more than once a week, which would be all of you, tend to live longer, isn't that some? Than people who go to church once a week or or not at all. Uh, Your marriages are better. Your health is better. It's just dramatic. How can that be? Because you're doing godly training, intentional things, and there's a benefit to it for it in this life. You, you uh, fare better financially in every way. Why? Because you learn how to do life. If you want to know how to do life, you read the owner's manual. All right? So you can figure out how to do things. Uh, of course, I'm a man, and when things break, I don't want to read the owner's manual. <laughs> I can fix it myself. (laughs) Usually doesn't go well. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What is? That godliness is good for in this life and the life to come. It's a good thing. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. He's writing to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. So don't anyone, you know, knock you down because you're a young guy. But set an example for the believers. How? In speech, the way you talk, and the way you conduct yourself, in the way you love people, in your faith, and in your purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to preaching and to teaching. Again, here's a hint uh, that he was released. I told you that. A lot of people, some theologians believe that he was released for a while, but they got arrested, whoops, sorry, over here, and then re-arrested. We don't know. Who knows? Nobody knows. But uh, that's why he was talking about coming. So either he really knew he was coming or he was just hoping. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is telling this guy, what should a preacher do? He should devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And ever since then, that's what preachers are supposed to be doing. Um, It's sad that in a lot of churches, um, the pastors also probably spend most of their time in uh, administrative things and in meetings and in sessions and this and When ideally, the bulk of our time should be especially if you minister in the word, not everybody, not all pastors minister in the word. Certainly we have all kinds of associate pastors here. That's not their main calling or certainly not their main job. I don't know what their calling is, but uh, it's not what I'm paying them to do because <laughs> I preach. So uh, anyway, until I come devote yourself to all these things, do not neglect your gift. Boy, there's something people do, huh? Here you get a gift and then you just neglect it. 
Here God had given Timothy a gift when he was uh, prayed for. He says it was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. They're laying hands on him. They're praying for him. Imparted some spiritual gift to him. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the gift of preaching and teaching and communicating well. I don't know. It doesn't say. But he says don't neglect it. Pay attention to it. Use your gift. Use it or lose it. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, he starts talking about um, how to interact with uh, older people in the church. And uh, all the older people said, amen. <laughs> he says, right away, he says, don't rebuke an older man harshly but exhort him as if he were your father. Of course, this was during a time when people were nice to their fathers. <laughs> Unlike days like today, where people are very rude to their parents. It is really a problem. Um, every once in a while, I'll get a letter from someone who tries to tell me why they don't have to listen to their, you know, they can be disrespectful, disrespectful, if you will, to their mother or their father, or to their mother-in-law or father-in-law. And they demand that they get in line with the way we deserve to be treated and blah, 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 blah. And I always say, no, 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 no. It's different. You're making the mistake. They're not your peers. They're not your buddies. They're not your neighbor. They're your parents. You're supposed to honor your parents. Well, my parents are crazy. Mine were very crazy, all right? And, and did stuff that just drove us nuts. And there's times, I get it, you have to draw the line in the sand and not go over there. But even then, you can do it respectfully. You can disagree respectfully. You explain, uh, why don't you let the kids come over? Uh, because your house is a disaster and inappropriate things are on television all the time. But we love you, that's okay, we'll come over another time. And they'll still get mad about it, but you still be respectful about it. I'm just shocked at how disrespectful people are today, even to their own parents. They have no problem yelling at anybody. Age is nothing to be uh, respected and honored in this country. You go, you know, I travel all over the world. You go to countries where people still have a sense of respecting elders. It is really a dramatic thing. They treat them with great deference and respect. Uh, some cultures, whenever an older person walks into a room, everybody stands. Everybody stands up. Why? It's an older person. You know, you just do it out of respect, something this country, we are, we are such a disrespectful nation. It is bad. It is, we disrespect our, our parents, our in-laws, we disrespect uh, our spouses, we disrespect our boss, we certainly disrespect our presidents and congressmen and everything, because they all drove us crazy, and we just, we live in a culture of insult and, and disrespect. And, uh, and while I'm not quick to defend the politicians... <laughs> because I feel rather disrespectful to them myself, I must say, to my own fault. Uh, but that needs to stop when it comes to uh, our per personal interactions with people. And in the church, we should respect those who have positions of authority, uh, but they, we don't. People frequently, not frequently, I should back that up. Very rarely do I have someone who gets mad at me. Uh, the way I talk about it, you think it's all the time, but it's really, really rather rare. Uh, but when they do, man, are they disrespectful. They go after me like, you know, like I'm a 12-year-old, you know, yelling and screaming, and this and that, and you're a stupid boopy head, and blah, 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 blah. And they go, they're just so disrespectful. I mean, at a minimum, go away quietly. You know what I'm saying? Or come and peacefully make your case and say, look, we can't stay here anymore because i just uncomfortable with some of the things that you said. Or, oh, okay, fine, but... But, oh, no, man, do they get nasty. No respect today. Uh, I've told you many times about how, you know, I post stuff on Facebook and how these nimrods get on there and just start ripping me to shreds and rebuking me. These are Christians who should know better. You don't rebuke, especially older <laughs> men of God. You say, well, I disagree with them. Well, okay, I disagree with a whole lot of them. There's only one guy that I agree with a lot, and, and that's, that's me. Uh, and, there's, and, and there's times I listen to me, and, and I don't even agree with me. I listen to him, oh, you, what are you saying? That's horrible, you know. 
But, uh, you know, I don't write them and chew them out and just stop, honestly. So be careful. Show some respect to those who are older. I don't know uh, that we can ever fix it in our culture. If, if we can, it'll really only happen if we do it in the church. And hopefully the church starts having impact. We're the light on the hill and we can have an impact in our, uh, or on the people around us. But right now, there's no respect in churches. Very little. Uh, I like Green Bay. One of the reasons I like it is because 80 to 90% of you are ex-Catholics. And, and Catholics, for whatever faults they have, at least they t- taught a degree of respect for the priests. And they did, you know. And people, people are way more respectful, I think, to people in ministry here than like in the Bible Belt. It's horrible down there. The way they treat pastors and the way they discuss that, they're insulting all the time and jumping from one church to the other. You guys don't have this problem. You have a certain degree of respect, which I certainly appreciate. And I say this to people all the time. That's one of the nicest things about being up here is you don't do those kinds of things. In most churches, and still even in evangelical churches, even in Wisconsin, they get real disrespectful. The, The pastor is no more than an employee. He works for the church, and they can be voted in and out at will. And they have all kinds of political games that they play to vote a pastor in or to vote him out, and just no respect. So you don't do that to whatever priest is stuck in your church. Even if he's horrible, you put up with him. Uh, and Lutherans, I love Lutherans, the same kind of thing. They have more of a respect for uh, authority. I love talking to Lutherans who say things like, oh, you know, talk about our church, how's your church? Oh, it's horrible. Really? Oh, it's awful. The pastor is so boring. It's just terrible and miserable. I go, really? How long has he been there? 25 years. You know, and, and uh, we're, he's got to retire pretty soon or die. We're going to get a new one. They're all excited about it, you know. And th- that is such a positive thing to me. Here's people. Here's, he's, he's been horrible for 25 years. But they tolerate it. Why? They show respect towards him. He's the pastor. They're the one, he's the one they sent. We'll listen to them, do it as, you know, we'll work through it because they're committed to their church. They don't get all upset about every little thing. Uh, so anyway, a lot more of that here. And for that, I appreciate So don't rebuke an older man harshly. Treat him like a father. Be nice, a little respect. The older, the more respectful you should be. And then treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity because no one really wants to visualize having sex with their sister. Which will actually help some of you guys who struggle with temptation all the time. Your problem is you don't view them as sisters. View them as sisters. These are your sisters, literally. What if they were literally your sister? Oh, that would change everything. That's what Paul's saying. Keep your head clean. All right? Now, then he goes talking about the program they have for widows. It was a big deal back then. Virtually all of this doesn't apply today. Much like a lot of what was taught he taught in 1 Corinthians about the way they did church. Interesting. A lot of it we don't even know what he's talking about. But it doesn't really apply because I don't know of any church anywhere that holds their services like they used to have back then. Uh, the closest you can get to probably is an Amish church. or There's, there's a couple here and there. Because the way he talked about it, they would gather for church, but they'd be there all day. And there was no one preacher who got up. It was, you know, people would take turns getting up and exhorting. And he'd have all the rules about how this was supposed to be happening. Well, I don't, we don't have church like that. You know, we haven't had for centuries, <laughs> thousands of years, quite frankly, over the last 1,500 years. Uh, that's not the way it's done, except for a few smaller groups that read that and still want to conduct themselves that way. Uh, but they tend to be very small groups because it's kind of weird, and people <laughs> don't feel very comfortable in that environment. So we don't allow people to stand up and start talking in the middle of my talking, or we will escort you to the curb. <laughs> you know, you don't get to do that. So anyway... Here's one of these things, again, that they had in place. Now, apparently, they had this program uh, to support widows. Now, I have to understand, in Bible days, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't social security. There wasn't anything. Uh, if you didn't have children or someone to take care of you, you were in bad shape, okay? Really bad shape, particularly a woman. because They didn't have any of the opportunities that we have today. That's why women were desperate to have husbands. It wasn't just because uh, they wanted some man who would irritate them for the rest of their lives, but because without a husband, they couldn't function 
uh, financially, and it was a great hardship to them. So they would at all costs find husbands. And, but then, uh, and then you wanted children. Why? Because the way it worked, Social Security in that day was children. <laughs> you paid into Social Security by having as many as you could have. Get a full quiver. You kept coming one after another. Here's another one. There's another one. There's another one. They'd have 10, 12, 14, 15 kids. Why? That was your Social Security. Because when you got old, guess who took care of you? The clan. All right? And uh, so it's certainly a different world. But then if you were a widow, your husband dies, and you didn't have any children or family, you were in a bad, bad, poverty-stricken life. And the church, in response to helping those who were in that situation, and we're talking Christians who were in that situation, uh, they didn't try to help the whole world. You couldn't financially do it, but they wanted to help those in the church. They had a program to support the widows. Uh, but they were very strict about how it worked, and that's what we're going to read about now. He says, now give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents. You hear that, Phil? Repay. You guys owe me money. Repaying your parents and your grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. Again, a whole different uh, economic system. Although you can't just blow it off entirely. If you have the ability to help your parents that are really struggling, you should. But most people today would never do it. It's terrible. And if you did it, your spouse would have a fit. Because she's disrespectful to your parents and you're disrespectful to hers. Why are we got to take her to your family? They should have saved money. I mean, just people are just bad today. It's awful. Anyway, so uh, Jesus, when he quoted honor your father and mother, he quoted it only in the context of money. Talk about honoring your parents means you honor them financially. Again, different economic system. However, you still have to wonder if they are in great need and struggling the responsibility really should come from the family. Sadly, very few people have that concept. And what I'm talking about is hardly ever talked about in churches because most of it doesn't really apply and nobody wants to do it anyway. All right, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God. In other words, what he's saying is if you've got family, don't put them on the roll for the church. The church isn't paying for them. You take care of your own family. Don't send them to us. All right, so they were pretty strict about that. But the widow who is really in need and left all alone, different situation. She puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. So we should step up and help her, is what he's saying. Uh, But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Who is the widow who lives for pleasure? We're going to get a little clearer as we get a little bit further into this. Um, Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever? What? I mean, this is how intense they took this. He wasn't goofing around. Um, Now, again, different system today. We live where we do have welfare and Medicare and Medicaid and all kinds of programs to help the poor. And quite frankly, the church, now a lot of people say, well, the church is supposed to take care of the poor. They did back when the government wasn't taking 40% of their money. You see the difference? If the government take 40% of all your money, I bet you we could probably take some extra offerings to take care of people, take care of our own, but that's not the way it works. So we live in a whole different structure today. I get it. But I think the spirit of that is still uh, true. And uh, we have had people in the church who have come for help to us. And we know they have family in the church. And they want us to help them. And I tell them, no. I said, you need to go to your family. Well, I can't stand my family. Well, that's your problem. <laughs> you know, the family should take care of each other. That's really the way it's supposed to be. We shouldn't. Now, if someone's totally alone, we step up and do whatever we can. But even still, 
ours is not like the way they used to do it. They could literally take care of these people because there again, these were times they had taxes, but nothing like what we have today. On the other hand, they didn't have roads and schools and, you know, highways and all the different things that we had. So, you know, it's all got to come from somewhere, right? So I'm not criticizing one way or the other. I'm just saying it's different today. So anyone who doesn't provide for his own relatives, especially his own household, is worse than an unbeliever, he says. Very strong rebuke from, from uh, Paul. Now, no widow may be put on the list. There is the list of widows. If you make it to the list, the top 10 list or whatever list it is, uh, that was a thing, but they were very strict about it. So here's the rules. No widow can be put on the list unless she's over 60 and has been faithful to her husband. Now, how strict they were with this, I don't know. I'm assuming they didn't let a 59-year-old starve to death because she didn't hit 60 yet, you know. But they had their rules, and you got to put a rule somewhere. Hopefully they were flexible. I'm sure they were. Uh, faithful to her husband. Oh, she's a nice lady and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So what he's saying is, even if she meets this, she has to be a very devout Christian. So you can see this is whittling down the list dramatically. First of all, if they have relatives, you're not on the list. Your brother's got to take care of you. Secondly, if you're an old biddy that's mean to everybody, <laughs> criticizes everybody and doesn't want to do things and not very involved in the church and never volunteers, you couldn't get on the list either. What they did, I presume, they just suffered. I mean, certainly the motivation here would be to behave oneself and to serve joyously so that the church would accept you if you got in this situation. As for the younger widows, those under 60, and I glad he calls them younger, praise the Lord. Although I'm just over 60, so I'm a geezer. For the younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. What is he talking about? We can only guess. Clearly, not only did they have to meet all these qualifications, but they had to make some kind of a pledge, promise, I don't know if I want to call it a vow, whatever, you know, of chastity, and we don't know what it was. It doesn't say. He says, you don't want to put the younger ones on that because they're going to want to remarry at some point, and part of the pledge is that you wouldn't remarry, and now they really want to because their passions are overtaking them, which is perfectly normal. Uh, and then they're in trouble, and, you know, it's just a big stinking mess. <clears throat> we, again, this doesn't, <laughs> we don't have anything, <laughs> anything like this, but they did. Uh, besides, these younger ones get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. <laughs> and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense. <laughs> and say things they should not say. People say, Paul was really hard to women. Yeah, I can kind of see where they get that. <laughs> Old wives' tales, clucking hens, you know. Uh, again, different culture, different time. They didn't have jobs. They worked around the house, but they would become idle and go around and start gossiping and uh, whatever. <laughs> again, different world, folks. So I counsel younger widows to marry. Now tell them, get married. Get married. The closest thing we have to widows today actually are uh, divorced women, <clears throat> you know, who are on their own, and some of them are destitute and need help. And, you know, again, we don't have anything like what they had, but that's the closest that we have. You have to remember, people died fairly young back in that day. It was not unusual for God to hit his 30s and kick off. People would die from the flu. People still die from the flu, by the way, around the world, not here. Here we just feel like we're going to die, especially if you have the man flu, which is the worst disease on earth. That's horrible. You know, uh, you know, your lungs fill up. You choke to death and die from stuff that they can fix like that today in modern medicine. So. Roll the clock. You'd have to look at really poor countries to get a picture of what it was like. A lot of people just would get sick from the flu, and that's it. 
they're gone. So of all they so consequently, and then of course a lot of these guys worked in their, you know, they certainly didn't have OSHA making sure the working conditions were safe. So the big rock rolled over you, whoops, too bad. Where's Fred? He's flat. You know, that was it. And now you're a widow and you're 35, and what am I gonna do? You know, he's get, you know, find another husband is what he's saying. Continue to do life. So I counsel the younger widows to marry, have children, manage their homes. Now you're talking very young widows here, see? They had very young widows. I don't know of any young widows, quite frankly. There's, it's very rare today. Uh, short of a very quick cancer, you know, real nasty version of it, uh, or a car wreck or something like that. We just don't have much. Of, most of our sicknesses today uh, don't kill people, except for after a really long time. So uh, manage your homes, uh, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. What is he talking about? I don't know. You know what? They backslide because they made this pledge and the church is going to... You can see this whole system really, this is not good. I mean, when, when you have a system in place, and again, we don't have anything like this anymore. We have a system in place that basically locks people in to where they feel trapped and their only choice to get away from the icky system is to become a heathen again, that's not a good system. But it's a system they had, again. This is very early in Christianity. We're not, what are we, are we even 60 years yet into Christianity at this point? It's very young. Anyway, so we read about it, but again, most of this just doesn't follow us. If any widow, uh, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them. So here's a situation where a lady is taking care of some widow. And it's not her family, but she's taking care of them because she's just a nice lady. And if you're already taking care of them, don't bring them to us, is what he's saying. You can see this list is getting thinner by the second. He did not want the church to be financially responsible for people, except only in the most extreme of circumstances. And by the time you fit all of this, your chances of getting on that list become very, very thin. Uh, anyway, don't let the church be burdened with them so the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, that's his version of need. It's 2,000 years ago version of need. Uh, we are much more forgiving today and consider people in great need way far <laughs> than getting in this situation, okay? Uh, so anyway, that's what he has to say about that. Again, it doesn't really apply too much. We can, there's a sense of things we can pick up from it about taking care of your family and don't let the church be a burden to everybody. And again, the churches can't do any of this anymore. We just don't have the funds. There's no way. There's no way. Uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the... So now he talks about elders. Now those who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, which means pay. He's talking about money. He says the guys who do this well are worthy of double the salary of your typical uh, person in your congregation. Uh, some churches actually do this literally. They find out what the median income is of their area, and when they hire a pastor, they double it and hire the pastor. And that's, that's the standard. Um, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, he says. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Say, why would you do that? Why did he say that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's what he says. And not every church does it. Not every church does a whole lot of this stuff. So, uh, uh, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Someone comes and says, you know, Pastor Mark is co co cohorting, cohorting, whatever, cohorting with prostitutes. Uh, you shouldn't just take that at face value. Who else has seen him do this? Do you have any other witnesses? You get two or three people coming and saying that. Now you got an issue. All right? But don't take an accusation against anybody, really, but particularly elders in the church, unless you have some, something to back it up. Uh, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So this, in this case, you actually bring these guys in front of the entire congregation and spill the beans on what they've been doing. It's really rather brutal. I've seen it. It's awful, horrible bloodletting. I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, 
But that's why they're doing it, because based on what Paul said here, you bring them up in front of everybody and rebuke them. Now, I know churches uh, who would take anybody in the church, and if they were caught fornicating or whatever, you know, whatever thing, or stealing money or not paying their taxes, they'd bring them up in front of the whole church and rebuke them publicly in front of everyone. That's a horrible thing. It's horrible. There's no reason for that. If we find that you make a mistake, you can pretty much be guaranteed I am not dragging your butt up here and telling everybody what you did. Okay, now, if you are a leader in the church, you're one of the elders of the church, there's certainly this uh, case uh, where you could say it's biblical to do it. Uh, I highly doubt that I would even do that, you know. Um, Suffice to say, yeah, we'd probably announce that they had a moral failing, which usually means an affair or something. And they're not with us anymore, you know, so that kind of thing. Or set them down, you know. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of this, uh, but it's certainly what he says to be done to those who are in charge. He said, well, man, that's a little scary. Well, then don't want to be in charge if you can't back up your life uh, as the way you should. He says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. He's very strict on all of these rules. Again, most of these rules, the widows and stuff, don't apply. How much are these rules? I don't know. I know of churches that take the average salary and double it. I know of churches who take the highest paid person in their church and double it. Further, We don't do that. It'd be great if you did, but you, you don't. And, uh, and we couldn't anyway. We don't have the money. I mean, there's just, you know, we, you know, we just barely, barely do what we do. Uh, you know, so well, he says, these are the rules. You got to do these rules. Okay, I don't know, you know. Um, again, the way I would reprove someone is I would tell what they did, but I wouldn't physically drag them up in front of their children sitting there on the front row and humiliate them in front of the whole congregation. I ain't doing it. They say, well, there's, keep these instructions. Okay, well, my version of these instructions that I see is reprove. Okay, I will reprove in front of everyone. First of all, pray for all your pastors that nobody does anything stupid. But it happens, man. We've been graced. Man, God has been good to us. It, you know, it's my greatest fear that I would just disappoint all of you and do something stupid like this. You say, why does that, why do you say fear? Because there's people a lot smarter than me, a lot more spiritual than me, a lot more famous than me, a lot higher educated than me, that have all done it. So I am not an arrogant guy. Thinking, oh, I'll never do that. Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Just about the time you think you'd never do something, just about the time you'd do it. So it scares the willies out of me. And uh, anyway, God bless all those pastors working with us. They're all pretty good guys. They're all good guys. Not pretty good. <laughs> They're good guys. That one pastor over there is not good, but the other ones are good. <laughs> all right. Now this next one. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. What is he talking about? Well, this is somewhat debated, uh, but this has become really clear to me over the last several years. Uh, and, and I've talked about this before, but this is because almost all churches, well, no, a lot of them are changing now, but a lot of churches in their worship service, give a time of prayer when people can come up forward and receive prayer. You've seen this, right? You've been in churches and, think, and people think this is great, this is wonderful, and I have people criticize us. Why don't you allow people to pray? And it's not that we forbid people to pray. You can pray anytime you want. But why don't we just have elders and stuff up here and you come forward and pray with them? Well, because I don't think they're doing it properly. It's my own personal opinion. Uh, because they just come forward and they don't know you, they don't know your problems, they don't know jack about you, and they just pray for you, they lay hands on you, pray for you, agree for you, and then you go off in your delusion. And in so doing, they partake in your sins, as far as I'm concerned. Let me give you examples. I've done this before, let me give it to you again. You know, one guy coming to church here on a Wednesday night, I come up to him after, he's crying. I says, what's wrong? He says, Pastor, I feel so guilty. I'm just struggling with guilt. Now, most people today would immediately just start praying for him. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus 
that you would set this brother free of this guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus. He's in the beloved. He has the heart of Christ. Thank you, God. He doesn't have to be condemned in any way in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty good, huh? So, anyway, <laughs> it's not that I can't, okay? So, now he goes, and he feels a lot better, right? But I don't do that. I learned not to do that anymore. He said, I feel so guilty. I said, why? What are you so guilty about? Well, no, 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 come on. Come on, little buttercup. Well, it turns he moved here from Texas, and he's having sex with some lady. I said, come on, man, you don't need to be doing that. I've never understood fornicate. There's no reason to fornicate. You want to have sex with someone, marry someone, have all the sex you want. And then he goes to me, well, the problem is she's already married. So he comes from Texas to our church so that he can be sleeping with somebody else's wife. And he's feeling guilty. God, you should feel guilty. Stop it. Now I know how to pray for you. Do you see the difference? And by the way, I just did this on my Facebook the other day, but, you know, I asked him, you came from a church in Texas, didn't you? He said, yeah. Did you tell your friends what you were going to do? He said, yeah. What did they say to you? I said, just pray about it. Oh, that makes me so angry. So I, I tell you guys all the time, you go to someone and all they can tell you is to pray about it, get away from them. These are people who don't have enough sense that God gave a duck. <laughs> if you are so ignorant of common sense, so ignorant of what the Bible says, and you honestly don't know how to answer them, find somebody who can. Take them to the pastor. Take them to someone else that you know has, a, and let them speak into their lives. Don't be just telling me, oh, pray about it. <laughs> so on Facebook, I feel like telling these people, I feel like stabbing you to death with an ice pick. What do you think? Bet you they won't tell me to pray about that. Just, there's such spiritualized stupidity. And all people who say this are ignorant and or fearful, and probably both. They're, they honestly don't know what to say because they're just dumb, even though they've been saved for 20 years. The only Bible they've read is little bits and pieces here and there. Got a promise book they open every once in a while. Don't know the scriptures, don't know truth, or they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to be responsible. And that is also a very bad place to be. So anyway, don't it. Someone comes asking you for help, don't you just blow them off and pray about it. If you honestly don't know what to do, and it's fine, have a little humility. Man, I honestly don't know what to tell them. I've had people tell me that's fine. Send them to me. Send them to one of the other pastors. We'll talk to them, walk them through it. So anyway, we didn't just pray for him. He, we have one of these services. The guy's going to come forward and say, you know, Oh, man, I'm really struggling with guilt. Oh, Father, we just agree together. You know, they're praying for him. So now he walks out. He's happy now. And goes, keeps screwing his chick. What are you doing now? You are now partaking in the man's sins by quickly laying on his hands, praying for someone you don't know anything about, and now you are encouraging them in their stupidity. Someone comes, came to my wife, said, boy, we're really struggling financially. You know, why do most people, oh, well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, that you have an abundance, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, oh God. You can meet all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. My wife didn't do that because she has a brain. And she says, she simply said to him, doesn't your husband have a good job? Yeah. Don't you have a good job? Yeah. Then why are you struggling so bad? Just asking questions. all oh, not being rude or... Well, we, we, got, we got this gambling problem. Ah, ah. Well, let's pray about that. Do you see the difference now? But you just come forward, oh, we're really starting to Well, pray, God, financial blessings that you've memorized in the book. Here are the financial blessings prayer. Send them on their way, and then they'll go to the casino and blow another 10 grand. Because you pray for them. So I'm kidding, man, can you pray? I got this horrible cough. Because I know they're smoking like three packs of cigarettes a day. Well, why don't we pray you stop smoking? No, I don't want to do that. I just want to get rid of the cough. <laughs> I'll bet you do. No, I'm not praying that. So, having said all of that, 
you know, the vast majority of people watching me around the world, this is what the churches do. And what I'm saying is very radical. I've never heard any pastor say what I just told you. Not a one. Uh, but we need to start waking up a little bit here. We are li- I really think that we are doing people uh, a huge disservice and if not flat out damage by having quickie, you know, drive-through prayer, quickie mark prayers at the front of a church where you don't have a chance to ask any questions to find out what in the world they're doing. You know, calling in a Christian TV station and praying for me, calling a Christian radio station and praying for me. All of these things. I was at a Christian radio station and where was I? Like it matters. It doesn't matter. Somewhere in the middle of New Mexico. That's where it was. Farmington, New Mexico. Oh, the mind still works. And uh, I was on there, you know, they're interviewing me and stuff. So, well, let's open up for prayer. And I'll right away. I went, oh, no, here we go. So, uh, you got something you want, Pastor Mark, to pray for you? Just call right now. So this lady calls up and says, will you pray for my husband? What's, I said, what's the problem? Said, he won't let me read the Bible to him. And the host of the radio person, well, let's pray right away. And I said, wow, wait a minute. And the guy looked at me, he was shocked. I said, wait a minute. You say your husband won't let you pray, read the Bible to him. No, he won't. I said, well, sweetheart, there's two ways you can read the Bible to him. One is you can read how much God loves him and cares about him and how he can succeed in life. Or you can read all the scriptures that tell him what a bad person he is. Which do you do? She goes, the latter. I said, oh, now let's pray. How about you not be a jerk? How about you take the Bible and shove it disrespect? You can take the Bible and disrespect people. She's disrespecting her husband by reading. What you don't do right? <laughs> and some of these ladies say, my husband's not a Christian. If I was married to you, I wouldn't be a Christian either. Good Lord. Just awful. But he would have right away prayed for her. Lord, we just pray you soften this man's heart and encourage this lady to keep teaching the word to her husband and stuff like that. Do you see the problem? It's like nobody, I don't know why nobody gets this. How, how can we all be missing this? Because we think, because it is a good thing. I say we think, we know prayer is a good thing. But pray. Take time with people. The problem with real prayer is it's very inconvenient in 2017 because it takes time. We're used to everything going fast. We want instant everything. We want to drive through prayer. Oh, we had a great time of prayer. No, you did not. Of all the absurd, and the only thing stupider than that is the request for any unspoken request. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. Do I have any unspoken request? And they pray for these people. You don't even know what they're wanting. They could be praying that you drop dead because they don't like you anymore. Oh, Lord, give them the request they're saying right now. I'm telling you, we do such stupid things with prayer. Then people get mad and say, I don't believe, I believe in prayer. But let's pray. Let's really pray. Let's do it intelligently, not stupidly, praying for unspoken requests. And by the way, when you put in your request to the church here, be specific. It just irritates me. I got a friend who needs something. (laughs) Well, how are you supposed to pray with that? Pray for my friend Bob, who has to have knee replacement surgery because he was in a terrible accident. Pray for his family and his wife Susan. And what? You know, now he has something to pray about. But we, we like this anonymity nonsense. Yeah, the number of prayer requests we get written out are just so anonymous. I don't even know what they're talking about. I think God goes, What are they saying? I don't know what saying. I'm pretty sure God, God knows what's going on. But, and that's what they say, Well, God knows. Well, still. If that's the case, then just say, God help everybody, amen. Let's go get some pizza. Did you pray? Yeah, it was great. God help everybody, amen. He knows, he knows all their needs. That's not how this works. Prayer is very specific, talking to God about specific things for specific people who have specific needs. That's prayer. It's time consuming. It's not very given to all right people calling oh, i need prayer oh, prayer lines are lighting up right i've got all these phones who knows what incredible stupidity we have encouraged in the name of jesus 
I'm just giving a few examples. I mean, this is very common. When you start peeling back the onions a little bit, you, you are shocked at what you see. And of course, people don't like it. They want to be anonymous. I don't want to tell you my problem. I don't want you to tell you anything. I just want you to pray for me. You come up to me and say, I want you to pray for me. I'm praying for you. <laughs> pray about what? I don't want to say. Well, then I ain't going to say either. <laughs> What's embarrassing? Well, then go talk, talk to a lady. You know, whatever. I mean, just at some point, you got to tell somebody what's going on. Paul says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Well, 2017 certainly doesn't believe in that anymore. We are as hasty as any group of Christians has ever been on the face of the earth. And we're proud about it. And we pat ourselves on the back about it. And all the elders in the front and their wives, they just feel great as they prayed for 20 people today. They don't even know their names. They don't even know what they're really going on in their lives. You're sealing into their stupidity and running the risk of do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. You can't be just jumping in, praying for some guy who feels bad about something, you don't even know what, and praying for him, and God will encourage him to keep going, screwing somebody else's wife. Husband walks in, shoots him in the head. Oh, didn't see that coming. Well, no, you didn't even talk to him. <laughs> Preach it, thank you very much. One encouraging soul. All right. <laughs> then he tells him, Stop drinking only water and use a little vino. Una copa de vino. Because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Illnesses. Again, this makes no sense because a lot of Pentecostal churches teach that the wine of that day was just grape juice. The stupidity is just more than I can bear. Uh, really? Then how's grape juice going to help him? The wine because of the healing characteristics of actual wine will help him for the medicinal purposes. Uh, verse 24, all sin, the sins of some are obvious. I wish the stupidity of them were. But the sins of some are obvious. Some reaching to the place of judgment way ahead of them. But for others, their sins trail behind them. Ooh, in the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot be, remain hidden forever. Then he talks to people who are slaves. We don't have that today. The closest would be employees, but it's the closest thing. I mean, but an actual slave, that was, that was really hard. He says, all those under the yoke of slavery, he's talking to Christians, should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Respect, again, we don't even have respect. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So he's telling the slaves, you're a slave. This was the, wor the world in which this was all written. And uh, it took a lot of bloodshed before we shook this demon uh, in this country. But this was the world, was the way it ran. And he says, if you're a slave, you're a believing slave, be the best slave you can be as a witness, as a testimony. And if you have a believing, uh, you know, your master is also a believer, don't say, well, hey, you're just a brother in Christ. You shouldn't be telling me what to do. No, no, no. He says, no, no, you can be a better slave because now you're serving someone who honors Christ. These are the things you are to teach. He's telling Timothy, that's this one, I'm going over all this stuff, teach and insist on. Some of it, again, is a little, don't quite get. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, and again, this is not because of stuff we don't understand or doesn't fit today, <laughs> but it's people who blow it off, they don't care what he says. Uh, they're conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. Again, examples. What are we talking about? I don't know. What can, I've, I've seen Christians argue about stupid things in the Bible. You know, is that what he's talking about? You know, debating the rapture. You know, fighting over is the rapture going to happen well, first of all, is there even going to be a rapture? They'll fight about that. And they'll say, if there is a rapture, it doesn't happen before the Antichrist or after the Antichrist or what, you know. And just fighting with stuff they have no control over. They don't know. Nobody knows any of these things. A little humility. That's why 
not a big fan of end time teaching because people tend to get very arrogant in their heads. And what happens? Envy, strife. Ah, the very thing Paul warns about. Constant friction between people of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a main means to financial gain. Now, here's a problem today for a lot of churches that teach that godliness is a means to financial gain. <laughs> it's like the people who would have churches that they forbid people to marry. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. You know, there are people who, in fact, they're called faith teachers who believe that if you are truly godly, you will be financially wealthy. And they actually look at godliness as a way to get wealthy. Uh, I won't mention any names. I can't judge their hearts. Uh, the people who teach us really believe it. I'll tell you that. I mean, they really believe it. And their churches really believe it. Uh, but their people don't tend to be any more blessed than our churches who do not teach such things at the level that they teach. But they believe it nonetheless. Uh, what Paul says, godliness with contentment is a great gain. Be happy with what you got. That doesn't mean you can't trust God for more. But when you get into this thing that the whole, there's a lot of people, the reason they give at all is they literally think God is like a slot machine. You know, because you'll give 10, 20, 30, 100 fold. See what you get back. I'm going to give $100 offering. See what you get back. And, and no, no. You say, well, but Jesus said given it will be given to you. Yeah, I know. You do this in faith and he will bless you. And I get that. But this obsession of getting more stuff and if you really got faith, you can drive Cadillacs and all that. Is really pushing it because he warns about thinking about godliness as a means of gain to finances. They, of course, have their versions that they explain all this away. But what he says is, you want really godliness? Be content. Be happy. Be happy with what you got, with what you got. Then you can really enjoy the next stuff that you get because you're happy with the last thing. Right? If you're happy with the car you get now and you get a new one, wow, now you're really happy. <laughs> but don't be miserable, stupid car. Well, if you got a real bad car, I get that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, our stupid house, we just had a bigger house. My husband wasn't so lazy to work eight jobs, we could have a bigger house. You know, I just always oh, got to have more. Give me, give me, give me, give me. You're just going to be unhappy and miserable all your life. Learn to be happy. Everybody say, be happy. Yeah. All right. He says, the reason you think this, need to think this way is because we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. No one ever took anything with them. You'll never find a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. All right. Now, they used to bury the great pharaohs and kings of ancient time and put stuff in their caskets and whatever, take with them into the afterlife. But when you open it up years later, there they are. <laughs> they don't take anything with them. Uh, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I mean, look at the difference in the spirit here versus give so you can get more, get more, get more, get more. Again, I believe if you give, God will give more to you. I, I believe that the Bible is very clear. Jesus taught give and it will be given to you. Pour it into your lap. But not out of a context of discontentment that you've got to have more and you're just playing a system and running numbers so that you can make up financially. That is not what the scriptures teach. Those who want to get rich, and of course, at some level, we all would like to get rich. <laughs> I'd like to be rich. How many of you would like to be rich? I'd like to be rich. I have had money and not had money. I got to tell you, money really beats the other one. <laughs> Every day, all the time, all week long, money versus no money. I vote for money. All right? So while we'd all like it, but when he's talking about those who want, he's talking about people who are obsessed with it. That's the kind of want they're talking about. There's nobody who's going to say, oh, I don't want money. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's not from people who would like to have more money. These are people who are obsessed and got to do everything I can to make sure that I get more money. And it gets them in trouble. And then he gives this famous verse, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The way this is most often quoted is that money is the root of all evil. And it is not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. Now, it could be a little semantics. I must admit, anybody who gets money tends to like it a lot. <laughs> you know, it's not like you don't like it, as I just said. But there's this love. It's this love. You've got to have it. It tends to bring out the worst in people. Always has. 
always has. And if you don't think it wouldn't mess with you, I, it's just because you haven't had the opportunity. The power of that is just so powerful. You can take the sweetest people in the world and you find out that your uncle Fred, you didn't even know ever existed, left you $100,000. And then you watch relatives pop up and fight you over it. <laughs> and watch how mad you get about it. Man, I've seen people, nice Christian people, get mean as harness as they're fighting over money. Yeah, especially somebody killed over. I want that money. We should get some more. Pastor, what should I do? I'd say, just give it to the rest of the family. What? <laughs> Man, they don't want to hear that. So why? You, you existed without it before. Why do you care now? You're going to, no, I'm not going to do this. Well, you need to let go. Relax. Stop making you all nasty and crazy. Good night. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, the Bible says, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you know that people who get money usually don't keep it anyway? They got this theory that say, if you took, oh, I'm going long. I should have shut up five minutes ago. Sorry. Uh, I'll wrap up with this. Uh, you, you take uh, people who, uh, they say you could theoretically give everybody the same amount of money tomorrow. Everybody, everybody gets the exact same money all over the world. And within five to 10 years, everybody will be back right where they started. <laughs> the rich will be really rich again and the poor will be really poor again because they don't know how to handle money and it gets the better of them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these documentaries and stuff they used to do on television of people who win the lottery. It's fascinating to watch. It destroys them. It literally destroys their lives because they don't. Man, and everybody wants to be your friend when you got money. You win the lottery. You don't think anybody likes you now? Win the lottery tomorrow. Man, you're going to have friends you never knew you had. Oh, everybody's going to love you, want to talk to you. And, and Give me that, give me this, give me that. Oh, and they just pour through it like drunken monkeys. And it doesn't take long. Some of them, it's a very short amount of time. A couple of years, sometimes even months. And they're right back to where they started. It is fascinating. Uh, their perspectives are wrong. Thank God that he blesses us, meet our financial needs, but you don't want to be cut all passionate and crazy about money, all right? And then we'll, uh, he's got one more thing to say about money people too as we get to the end of this next week. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your grace. Help us to learn and grow from your word so that we might become mature people, having wisdom, so that if somebody asks us, we can actually give them an answer before we pray with them. Thank you for your kindness and your grace. God bless all these who are heard tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See ya.